sometimes the um, thing about being away for even just a week is you you get a little bit of perspective and one of the things that I was glad to experience in a room with a thousand other covenant folk was the reminder that we are a part of something bigger bigger than our group here today and even bigger than all of the people that were in that room other pastors there were missionary folks there were uh, different leaders from around our country from Canada from India serving in different places all around the world including Rainforest Academy and a few other places in Cameroon and a few other places as a local church we are part of something bigger and whether we think of this through the image of a puzzle like Pastor Amy presented last week and I was glad that she used that image because it reminded me of uh, a puzzle piece that I still have from a few years ago when I gave all of us a puzzle piece as well that we are part of something bigger a bigger picture a bigger mosaic and whether it's a puzzle image or you think of it like a painting or a panoramic photograph that you take with your phone the kingdom of God is a beautiful mosaic of different people and cultures and nations and this mosaic is held together by one thing alone and that is the power of God's presence his very nature now we certainly help this in our own ways but God holding it together in ways that everything else in our world seems to be falling apart and yet somehow God is able to hold a diverse group of people together through his own power and presence and this allows us to see and experience everything that God desires for us so for the next month we are going to be exploring what life together can and should be in this beautiful kingdom mosaic of God. When Jesus began to share his message of good news, it naturally spread outward beyond the borders of Israel and beyond Israel as a people group. It spread to the ends of the earth. Now why did it do that? Why does the good news naturally or want to spread? It does because it speaks into souls. It offers love and hope and healing for battered, bruised, and broken hearts and hands and lives. People that are battered and bruised and broken need hope. All of us are in that category in some way, whether past, present, or we will be eventually. The good news illuminates the ways that we drift or walk away from God, from the God who loves us, and it also opens up the way back into his loving arms. The good news reveals God's heart for justice and his work to remove injustice and evil in our world, restoring creation back to what he intended from the beginning. Now we see this healing and restoring work in our relationships 
with God and with the people in our lives. Now with God, we see it hopefully in a greater way. And with the people that are in our lives, we see healing and restoration in part, not always in full through our relationships. The Bible refers to right relationship with the word righteousness. Justice and righteousness are two of those kind of big Bible words that are always linked together. And they are inseparably linked because they reveal the heart of God. Righteousness is all about being in right relationship with God. It's not about being holier than thou. It's about you and God being okay, being good. Like when you say, are we good? We're good. Righteousness is about you and God being in right relationship with one another. And it's about you being in right relationship with the people in your life, the neighbors near and far. Justice is all about action. Action to correct injustice in the world. Now, the reason that God links these two, or, or I, would, I would put almost like, you know, like a barbell has weights on either end. If you have justice and righteousness as each of like a, like a weight, that bar links those two together. You can't separate justice and righteousness. Ideally, justice, the pursuit of justice, leads to righteousness, and righteousness, that restoration and right relationship with one another, actually promotes and brings more justice into the world. Why are these two ideas important? They're important because God actually begins with this in the Bible. Genesis 1.27 says that all human beings are created in what? The image of God. And thus, every human being has inherent worth and dignity. This truth reminds us that all human beings are created equally in God's image. And we know that sin, unfortunately, has distorted this, and the image of God in some people is marred or almost like a mirror that has gone opaque. Sin distorts our thoughts and actions and relationships, and unfortunately, we know this far too well. It is a corrupting influence in our world. And so when I was gone, and they released the video, of the death of another young man, we're once again painfully aware of the results of sin, and our hearts hurt. And we cry out, How long, O Lord? And unfortunately, this has become too common a refrain. So, as a church seeking to follow and serve the Lord, let us again turn to the Word of God to center us and guide us through our thoughts and steps. That should always be the primary thing that we're turning to, the primary influence that we're allowing into our life, the primary message that should be guiding us over and above and sometimes apart from all other messages. 
The Bible isn't shy to call out injustice, and it does this perhaps most boldly in the Old Testament prophets. All throughout those biblical prophets, there is a repeated refrain speaking against all unjust, unethical, and unbiblical powers and practices, both for the nations and especially for God's own people. Thus, the prophetic books of the Bible are a disrupting voice. And in some ways, we can say this about the gospel. The gospel is meant not always to comfort. Sometimes it needs to disrupt us out of whatever we're feeling or going through or unaware of. It's meant to turn us closer to God. So today we're going to just do a quick overview of the book of Amos, and you have this, uh, you have this sheet. I kind of put this together from the Bible Project, and if you go on BibleProject.com, we've used uh, some of their images before. You can go on and you can download all of the various Bible uh, book summaries that they have. It's, it's actually kind of cool. They have videos that you can watch as well. And we know that in the book of Amos, the kingdom of God had split into two groups, the north and the south. That had happened a long time earlier. And the southern kingdom of Judah had its capital in Jerusalem, and the northern kingdom was still called Israel, and its capital was Samaria. And finally, the north reached what we would say the pinnacle of power and wealth and what we might call success, at least how we would imagine that in America today. The king of the north was Jeroboam II. You can see it on the bottom of the first page of that handout. Jeroboam II reigned for 41 years. He won a lot of territory. He gained prestige. He brought a measure of peace and prosperity to the people, but he also allowed idolatry and injustice and actually he turned out to be one of the most evil and corrupt kings of all. He was politically powerful and the nation enjoyed economic success. Their 401ks grew if they had them and they had military peace and people that were in positions of power and prestige thought everything's going just fine. Little did they know everything was not fine. The rich and the powerful loved this king because they found success and strength. But in the midst of it all, God saw the truth. This power, this prestige, the peace, the ease and comfort that the people had was built upon worship that was fake. It was full of idolatry. There was terrible injustice. There was exploitation of the poor. There was complacency. People were sold as slaves for a pair of sandals. And Jeroboam himself refused to repent of his and the nation's sins. So you can see things at this point are not going well. That's why Amos is sent. God tends to send prophetic voices at times of great uh, evil. When the nation is not paying attention, 
when God's people are not listening and suddenly a prophetic voice comes. Now Amos is an interesting person because he was kind of a normal guy. He was someone that God chose. He was a southerner, the southern kingdom, and he was sent into the north to speak a word of harsh judgment. So you can imagine how well that's going to go over when a foreigner basically comes in and says, you guys think God says so. That's not a message that's going to be received very well. Amos was working as a shepherd. He was used to working with his hands. In this handout, you can see on this front of the front page, if I had to sort of I agree with how the Bible Project has put this together. If we had to kind of highlight one key point in Amos, it's that true worship of God, as it says up here, should always lead to justice, righteousness, and loving our neighbor. And if that's the positive way of stating it, then the negative way of saying it is if those things do not exist, if we are not actively pursuing that, then our worship is false or fake. And actually Amos, in delivering the word of the Lord, ends up saying this to the people, that God doesn't want our fake worship. In fact, it angers him. Amos explores the relationship between God's justice and mercy because God, if God is a God of justice, he must confront evil. And at the same time, he's also wanting to draw everything back to himself, draw everyone and restore people and nations and indeed all of creation, almost like a return to that Garden of Eden moment before sin entered in. On the inside, or page two, it kind of has a summary of the book of Amos. The opening bits are chapters one and two, and this is where it's actually a pretty cool way that God goes about this. So he sends Amos from the south to the north to speak a word, but he's smart. The first thing he says to the people of Israel is, you know all those other people around you? Man, they sure are bad. Don't you agree? They're doing a whole bunch of bad stuff. Accusations against the nations. But you can see in the drawing, God's ultimate purpose is that he keeps closing in, almost like going around, circling around the drain. And eventually he lands with his own people, the nation of Israel. And then Amos turns the word to an accusation against God's own people. You can see it says, the parties over people. And these are just a few of the things that were happening. The wealthy were ignoring the poor. They were selling them into slavery. They were denying them legal representation. And ultimately God says, you thought that being my people was a great privilege. And it is, and it should have led to much blessing, and it did, but with great privilege comes great responsibility. When I call you, 
I'm giving you a responsibility to be a blessing to the world, and therefore, since you have not done that, there are great consequences for this. In the middle part of Amos, chapters 3 through 6, Amos delivers a message to Israel and especially to its leaders that worshiping of any other gods leads to injustice. Now in that day, the three big ones are listed on there. Asherah, the god of sex, Anat, the god of war, and Baal, the god of weather, or various forms of weather. Those were the particular names of the gods of that day, and we also have particular gods in our day. And when I say gods, I'm saying little g. Some of them are actually similar to these, but we also have our own gods. Ultimately, it leads to chapter 5, and this is what I want to read from this morning. Amos is a small prophetic book, kind of right in the middle of the Bible, just a little bit past the middle. Let me read, starting in chapter 5. Hear this word, Israel, this lament, I take up concerning you. Fallen is virgin Israel, never to rise again, deserted in her own land, with no one to lift her up. Oof, it's not starting out that great. Verse 3, this is what the Sovereign Lord says to Israel, your city that marches out a thousand strong will have only a hundred left. Your town that marches out a hundred strong will have only ten left. This is what the Lord says to Israel. Seek me and what? Live. Seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel. Do not go to Gilgal. Do not journey to Beersheba. For Gilgal will surely go into exile and Bethel will be reduced to nothing. Seek the Lord and live or he will sweep through the tribes of Joseph like a fire. It will devour them, and Bethel will have no one to quench it. Verse 7. There are those who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground. He who made the Pleiades and Orion, all those stars in the sky that you see, who turns midnight into dawn and darkens day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land. The Lord is his name. So you can see already that this is meant to really grab the people's attention. Continuing in verse 9. With a blinding flash, he destroys the stronghold and brings the fortified city to ruin. Oof. There are those who hate the one who upholds justice in court and detest the one who tells the truth. And then he goes even further, and now he gets personal. You levy a straw tax on the poor. You impose a tax on their grain. Therefore, though you have built stone mansions, you will not live in them. Though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offenses and how great your sins. Think Amos is pretty popular right now? No, not at all. The Lord knows everything about us. Yeah, he does. And sometimes we pretend like he doesn't. 
There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Therefore, the prudent keep quiet in such times, for the times are evil. Verse 14, seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you, just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good. Maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. Even now, at that moment, there was still a chance. And yet, what happens to the kingdom of the north? They get taken away, never to be heard of again, all because they failed to turn back to the Lord. What God really is looking for, he says in the very end of chapter 5. You can see it on the bottom of that page. After Amos has basically said, everything that you're doing is a sham. And then he says, this is what the Lord desires. Verse 24, let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never-failing stream. There's a bunch of songs written from that verse. See, we like to focus on that verse. We don't like the fact that God has just said, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. I just, I, I have to say, I did not like reading this again this past week. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Instead, let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never-failing stream. That word justice, the one that's listed on the top of page 3, in the little black box there, it kind of has a good summary. It's the concept of actions taken to correct injustice. This word alone shows up over 200 times in the Old Testament. And justice and righteousness always show up together in the book of Amos. They're never apart. Justice and righteousness actually are paired almost 40 times in the Old Testament alone. Justice, in fact, becomes the foundation of righteousness and actually helps us live in right relationship with God and neighbor. Let justice flow like a river and righteousness like an unfailing stream. The word ends on the back. Amos is given several visions from God. These are not pleasant images, to be perfectly honest. They are depictions or images of something called the day of the Lord, when the Lord comes to judge his people. The day of the Lord is a terrible day for those who are faithless. 
and it is a scary day to think about. But for those who remain faithful and true, it is when the Lord will establish his justice forever here on earth as it is in heaven. I'm not going to go into details about all the visions. If you're interested in kind of the symbolism, you can read that. It's in chapters 7 through 9 specifically. We've looked at them actually in the past. What I want to end with is the very last part. See, when we hear a prophetic word or we read some of the prophetic words in the Bible, it's meant to move us in some way, to move us and motivate us to act. So what do we see in this prophetic word if we listen, as Jesus often said, with ears to hear? And that's a question I want to ask you in the church this morning. As you hear the word that God delivered to Amos, what do you hear this morning? What is your heart drawn to think about? We are called to operate with integrity in everything we do or nothing else matters. Is that what you said? Or nothing else matters. Integrity is where our inside and our outside are in sync. Yeah, that's true. What else does Amos cause you to think about in our day and in our age? The work of the enemy is meant to keep us from righteousness and justice. The enemy does not want us to be in a right relationship with God and with people around us, near and far. The enemy does not want us to engage in the work of justice in the world. There's a lot of things that we could say about God's sense of justice. We're not necessarily talking about retribution here. We're talking about justice in the sense of if you are in a position of power, prestige, uh, you name it, we almost have, we have this duty, this responsibility to stand in the gap for those without a voice. That's part of the biblical mandate. Yeah. What else? Maybe, maybe one last thought. And then we'll wrap up our time here. Speaking up against the norm, yeah. God is a God of grace and mercy. He gives us chance after chance after chance. But it's all designed to cause us to turn back to Him. That's one of the reasons why I, I want to make sure every Sunday that we are in the Word as much as possible. Because it's what actually grounds us and keeps us connected to God. Yeah, Ezra. I don't know the reference, but I'm, I just think of the, the phrase, anyone who knows the good he ought to do, but doesn't do it, sins. Anyone who does the good he knows the good he, knows ought, the to good do, he ought to do, doesn't do but it. doesn't, sins. Yeah. Sins are either active, we commit, or they're passive, we omit by what we leave undone. Yeah. 
Anyone else? I don't want to. All right. In the very back corner, I don't want to end on that note, okay? There's a glimmer of hope. Because that's the way that God also operates too. That even in the midst of heavy, weighty things and challenging calls, God always wants to also provide a glimmer of hope to inspire us to move that. And the very end of chapter 9 is like that. There's this glimmer of hope that God plants. Let me read the last bit. Verse 11. In that day, I will restore David's fallen shelter. I will repair its broken walls and restore its ruins and will rebuild it as it used to be so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name, declares the Lord, who will do these things. The, day, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills, and I will bring my people Israel back from exile. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They'll come rushing in just like those wonderful children. Sorry, I just added that word. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. It's this glimmer of hope, this picture of that future kingdom that Jesus came to inaugurate. Amidst judgment, a hopeful promise is heard from God. God will continue to confront evil in our world, and he expects his people to do so as well. And it is this that will allow us to fulfill God's mission for his people, to be a blessing to the world in all of the ways that bring about love and mercy and justice and hope in our world. If we are to live as God intends, then we must join with God in what he is already doing here on earth. Some of you might know this, but I'm sure a lot of you do not know the specific wording. But the Covenant Church, the group that we're part of, has a mission statement. And this is the mission statement of the Covenant Church. We join God in God's mission to see more disciples among more populations in a more caring and just world. That's the aim that we are always going for. And one of our mission primary priorities in the church is to love mercy and do justice. We'll speak a little bit more about that next week. All of this is meant to point to that kingdom of God that we are a part of. To join God in making things right in this world. A world that is battered and broken by sin and its effects. I find this image at the very end a very hopeful and challenging message meant to spur God's people on. Trust that God will continue to call you in the ways that you need to move forward. That's the way he works in this world. And often he'll, he'll press into those parts of you that need a little more prompting, a little more prodding. But in the meantime, we hold on to that glimmer of hope. Church, let's pray, and then we are going to do one of the things that is an act of 
righteousness, and justice coming to the one table to be fed by Jesus himself. So will you pray? God, I pray that even in these harder prophetic words in the Old Testament, that we would be able to once again be reminded that you are indeed the God of justice, the God of righteousness, that you desire our relationships to be healed and restored between you and between our neighbors, people around us, that you call us to stand in the gap for those who have no voice, for those who are broken and battered. God, our prayer this morning is simply this. May we have ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to respond. We thank you for the way that you are at work in our lives, and we hope that you continue to draw us and call us forward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, we end with this. God is a gentle God, so we go forth with this gentleness in our lives. God is a tender God. We shall be known as persons of tenderness. God is a forgiving God. We will bestow the gift of forgiveness in our relationships with others each day. And we are made in God's image. We will live like we know that to be true, with joy and thanksgiving. God is with you in this. May he bless you as we are sent forth. Amen and amen. Church, have a wonderful week. I look forward to seeing you again.